0: Should, just, I go get a
1: copy? Oh, should I go get a copy of my book? I feel like I probably at some point should hold it up. The publisher's going to be like, You didn't even hold up a copy? <laughs> <laughs> yes, if your publisher's going to be mad, then do it. But I know.
0: <laughs> she sounds like me.
2: Right. I am going to need so microphones.
0: I can actually, actually promote my hey, stuff. I Stop just... talking.
2: I'm going to do our microphones and then I'm going to play our little o- opening.
0: Welcome to the podcast! I'm John a professional comedian for more than 30 years.
2: And I'm Amanda McKinney, John's daughter for more than 30 years.
0: Our family believes laughing is a learned behavior, and we want to teach you how we do it.
2: So, welcome to the kitchen table of the comedian next door.
0: Okay. <laughs> episode. What do we call this episode? Oh, I forgot.
2: Oh, we have a house guest today, That's neighbor. It. It's a house guest episode. Hey, neighbor, if you're listening, uh-huh. our name is Carl. So, hi, Carl, and welcome to our house today. We are dispensing with all of our. Segmented. Of our usual
0: formalities, our usual law and order, and it's going to be chaos. And we're
2: kicking it old school.
0: Yeah, we're going to be. This is a throwback to the way we used to do podcasts, which was without a net and without any sort of organization and without any sort of real objective.
2: No professionalism. No
0: professionalism. All of <laughs> that's out the window. It's going to be.
2: So um, today, actually, our house guest today was on the Comedy Sojourn podcast before, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure it was just you, Dad. I don't think that I helped with Carmen that. has
0: been on the soapbox before.
2: It was a soapbox episode. I right. definitely wasn't on that then. And so you should introduce her.
0: Uh Carmen Schilber is our guest today. Hey Carmen, how are you? I Hello. Like, like your background. <laughs> oh, um, thank you.
1: I'm in the mountains, as you can see. You <laughs> not see that. It was either that or a completely blank wall. So you know well, mountains. <laughs>
0: Trees yeah you got going back here it's
1: just, there's the
0: mountains and the trees <laughs> all right uh, so Carmen is a uh, f- friend of ours now I think we can say that we we have been associated sure. with the uh, staos that's how we first met Carmen
2: yeah that's why I couldn't remember if I actually did the interview because we've done several meetings and we've been on video you know, before as a group. And so then I'm getting it confused with like official, formal published material. Mm-hmm. But yeah, mm-hmm. friends. Yeah.
0: So Carmen, Absolutely. Is, yeah, as a person that we sort of figured out after a few correspondence back and forth that, Hey, this person is, uh, is on the same wavelength as we are. And we're kind of going in the same direction. So why don't we go in the same direction together rather than going in the same direction, you know, but independently.
2: Can you do that? Can you go in the same direction anywhere but together?
0: Yeah, you can be you can be like on parallel <laughs> courses, but there's a but there's a divider. This okay. is what this is what church is now. It's like you're going sort of in the same direction, but we've all got our little church lanes that we run in and we don't mm-hmm. we don't associate with each other because yeah. you know, we mostly want to have our platform yeah win.
2: So, well, our house guest episodes are all about like what it's like when you invite a friend over for dinner maybe play some cards or, you know, a game. But in between, you always have conversations about what's going on in your life. And um, we are literally sitting at the table right now over here. Um, And so we're going to chat with Carmen. But I mean, most excitingly, Carmen wrote a book and it's coming out. When is your book coming out, Carmen?
1: So it's available for pre-order. And I can explain why that's a big deal, but it's technically, it will not launch until November 2nd. So it was a long time, (laughs) good long time until you will actually, what'd you say?
0: You can get a pre-order book though.
1: Yep, you can pre-order. And I've heard that sometimes um, you can even get it early. If you pre-order and they happen to have them, you could get your copy way before November 2nd. I don't know how that works. I don't know why they have them before November 2nd, but
0: that's just what I've
1: heard through the grapevine.
0: (laughs) I don't know why they say November 2nd is when it's available when it's actually available earlier than that.
1: Yeah. Well, and what's kind of funny, too, is so like I have a copy now, but, um, you know, I've sent it to different bookstagrammers and different people who I'm going to do podcasts and stuff with. And some of them have gotten it first. So I've gotten on Instagram and they like have my book. And I'm like,
0: oh,
1: I want one. I want to see it. So I finally got one. It's good. Feels good. But yes, November 2nd is the official big deal day when the book launches officially official official
2: yeah i was gonna say another technique that you can use is just have a podcast have a friend come on your podcast then you get their book Mm -hmm. uh sent to you ahead of time that's
0: our preferred which is
2: which is how we like
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes one of the perks being awesome people want you to read their stuff uh
0: the title of the book is
1: After she falls. Oh, sorry. I didn't know that you were waiting for me. He definitely was drumming up to some before she
0: falls. I was just about to say
1: You want to hear a funny story about it? So um, this lady, I just met her. She's really cool. Maybe you guys have heard of her before. Mercedes Schlapp. She runs a big conservative pack. She's a pro-life. Been on the radio a lot. Like one of those people, you know. Fox news type of person. And she, we took a picture together of her and she held the book up and it's on her Instagram. And she says like, go read after she falls. (laughs) And the first comment on it is from some woman named Janice, who apparently is a grandmother and a lovely lady. And her comment is after the fall of that evil dictator, Trump. (laughs) That's the first comment on it. I was like, dang Janice, chill out. Like, so that's nothing to do with Donald Trump, but okay.
0: Oh, gosh. He's up there, Janice. Janice come out of quarantine. And
1: <laughs> yeah. He was around. just waiting. Yeah. My book title just set her up for her dream
0: yeah. joke. Evil dictator Trump. Is that what you mean? <laughs> yeah.
1: No. It was like, yeah, Trump's definitely a dictator. In yeah. in hindsight, after her experience all of this. You're right, Janice.
0: He He's also a, a sh-
1: dictator. Oh yeah. so, after she falls. Yeah,
0: after she falls. yeah. Oh, yeah. So fine. why did you why did you write this book, Carmen? Level with me.
1: So oh, why did I write it? Well, I've always liked writing fiction. Um when I was in graduate school I took creative writing classes and those were by far my favorite thing to write. <clears throat> I didn't really like research and composition and all of those subjects I thought those were I mean I could do it obviously I do some of that now still but I don't I don't love it with the same kind of like you know just like a creative outlet where you feel like it's just sort of flowing um so I've always loved writing fiction but then I took a screenwriting class in 2016 and the first assignment in that class was to write a scene based off of your favorite movie but like change it up and so I picked Rocky and I was like, okay, so I'm going to take Rocky and I will make it a female protagonist. And instead of boxing, it'll be mixed martial arts and I'll make it, you know, 2016 or whatever it was then. And so I wrote one scene of it and I was like, wow, this is like pretty good. I'll just keep writing this. So I wrote it as a screenplay and that just sort of gave me this like nice skeleton. Cause you know, the screenplay is essentially what you visually see And then a novel is like what you can fill in all the other parts that a movie can't really touch, like the internal thoughts and stuff like that. So that was really just the inspiration, just that fun little assignment. Took it and ran with it. And then I don't know. I just always kind of thought maybe I could be a writer. Like maybe people will pay me for this. I don't know, but I'm going to try it. So I ended up getting a literary agent and all the different things. And so just, you know, step after step sort of confirmed like, I think I can probably do this. <laughs> and so that's how it all it all came together.
2: Yeah. So yeah. how did you find the time to actually physically sit down and write it? Because I know that you have two girls and yes. a third baby on the way.
1: Yes, a little boy on the way in August. Yeah, yeah. Little fella. My husband is very excited. <laughs> so am I. So am I. But he's so- especially excited.
2: <laughs> Me too. So am I. So- <laughs>
1: <laughs> actually right then well so the process has changed with every child i have added <laughs> um, before i had vivian my first i was very picky about my process you know it had to be like in this certain place and everything had to be clean and i needed two and a half hours like it was all this stuff and then with vivian i just sort of realized like if i'm gonna get this done and not drive myself crazy i just need to get up at like 5 a.m and like write you know, right until she wakes up. So from five to seven, almost every day. And then with Sophia, now that I have two, it doesn't even matter. I can wake up at five and like one of them will be awake or, you know, like that's just none of that happening. So I actually pay these lovely little Christian college gals to come hang out with my children for like three hours at a time, four times a week. And that is my cram it all in, get everything done, flurry typing time. That's how you have to do it, I think. Yeah. Some people, I don't know, like, Francine Rivers says that, like, when she was writing novels, like, her children would, like, lay nicely in a little basket <laughs> next to her. And, stuff. and I was like, wow, that sounds awesome. I can't relate to that on any level whatsoever.
0: You but- know she was giving them whiskey. That's why. They-
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. She had angel well, children.
0: I, I just knew. love the fact that... uh that you have just described the creative process as being something that is forcible and not something that you have to wait around for some magical yeah. bolt from heaven to hit you and inspire you to do it because that trips up a lot of people. A lot of people don't get things done because they don't feel, quote, inspired and uh, right. inspiration is overrated. We talk about <laughs> that all the time.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, I, it's a discipline. Both of you on along those lines. Like I, have been reading the book. I haven't quite finished, but I think you know, having another four chapters or so before I get. Are you going to gonna the spoil end, it? I can't. I was going to say out? I can't spoil it because I don't actually know the ending quite yet. Okay. Um, but as I was reading it, I knew that the two of you would have that in common about the creative process generally, um, and and I just wanted to know. If, if you would just talk, it's not really even a question, just an invitation to talk about like the creative process for Christians and the importance, because I think you guys agree that it is important for Christians to not let the secular culture do all of the, the fiction writing. I mean, there are people I've yes. told dad, yeah. for example, that he's not really a Christian comedian because he doesn't have an altar call or because it doesn't hit like certain passages in Romans he's speaking, you know, or whatever. So we have a very narrow idea of what it means to be a Christian creator.
0: I've had, I've had yours tell me that it's not even appropriate to do comedy or to create something because we're supposed to only talk about Jesus. We're supposed to talk about the Bible and it's a waste of time to do, to write a novel, for example, um, right. right. Jesus.
2: Yeah. So, is it yeah, a waste of time good.
0: to write fiction? That's a. Did, you <laughs> Did
1: you waste your time? Did you waste your time, Carmen? I totally understand the question. There's a lot of different parts to it, so I'll try to kind of give lots of lots of hope helpful answers. And what's really interesting is I don't know if you guys noticed this. Like when I when I set out to when I was at the very beginning of thinking maybe I want to be a Christian writer, I would look for you know YouTube videos people speaking about it, um, you know, anything like that. And there was like nothing. There was one talk from Tim Keller's wife um, talking about like very vaguely uh, why, what Christians, you know, just like, I mean, just just scratching the surface level of um, Christian fiction writing. And that was it. That was basically it. I mean, there's probably more now, but it just, there's just not a lot of people talking about it probably for, the reasons that you've described that a lot of people do think it's a waste of time. Some people think it's inherently sinful. They think it's like inherently bad um, because I guess it's fun. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know exactly what their reasoning is because yeah. it's enjoyable. It must be bad. It must be um, bad. Yep. Yeah. Must Ergo <laughs> it's sin. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um,
0: the, the writing process is for the most part, a lot of work and there's parts, yeah. That are enjoyable especially when it's going well but it at least right. for me it doesn't go well often i mean it, it's hard and you're yeah and you're racked with self-doubt you know you you spend an hour right. writing a page and you look back and read that page and go wow well, that was that's terrible i can't use any of that and so yeah it's yeah. not that it's not that fun
1: yeah um, well, and I can kind of tell you the two different camps, specifically as a Christian romance writer, right? Like, so this is, this is a sports romance. The, the romance element drives the story. Um, so that's an even, that adds another layer, right? Because a lot of people, when they hear romance novel, they have a very like particular idea of what that means and what it's going to entail. And, um, within, Expectations of Christian romance writers, and I'm kind of I'm going to use extremes. Obviously, there's lots of thoughtful writers in the or readers in the middle, but there seems to be this this um, I'm like in a Facebook group where people talk about what they like to read, and a lot of it is as as far as Christian fiction goes. They ask for I just really want something really light. Can you guys recommend me something light, like hardly any conflict at all, just really light? <laughs> it's like if you know anything about telling a story, no, I cannot give you a story that has no conflict. That's not a thing I can do. And I, could, if I did, it would be terrible. But that's like what they think they want. They want like I don't know. I, I guess basically, they want like you know a feel good story um I don't I don't know it's hard for me to imagine what that thing would be that they want but that's a common request and then on the flip side you know obviously you have the secular world that's very you know informing a lot of things very pushy and aggressive with their messaging and then I don't know I just listened to Ali Beth Stuckey you guys know her yeah. I always say her last name different every time I talk about her. I love her. Like I agree with her on probably like 89% of everything. Like we're very, um, we're similar in our worldview and all kinds of things. But she talked about um, redeeming love, which is probably the most, uh, most popular, most famous Christian romance novel at this point ever written by Francine Rivers. And it's beautiful. I mean, it's a beautiful, book and it's clean. It's, it's, but it's very, you know, it sucks you in the romance element is super strong. And like Ali Beth has no problem admitting that like she agreed that it's this, this very incredibly written book, but even in her talking about it, you could feel like the the hesitancy to affirm whether or not like Christians should really appreciate it. Because, because I think there's that, like, one, it's fun to read. So there's this, like, fun element. Two, it uses sexual tension as a device because it's the romance genre. Um, and her main thing was just kind of like, it could stir up romantic longings in people that, you know, maybe it's not good for them to have those longings. And I, I get where she's coming from. I don't want to just totally, like, trash that point. But to go back to what you said, Amanda, people like the secular culture has everything to say about this sexual or a uh, secular slash sexual culture Freudian <laughs> slip there they are like everything has been romanticized everything has been sexualized like your average young woman does it is not does not need a Christian romance novel to stir up longings in her because she's already like you know bombarded with messages about being a woman about what that means and all these other things. So to me, I mean, I just think obviously Christians should have something to say about these topics. And if you can do it well, if you can do it in a way that people actually enjoy consuming the content, that's obviously a gift. You know, like that's a good thing. And that isn't to say that every person should read every book. Obviously, you know, different contexts might mean you should stay away from something, but I just I mean, <laughs> the simple answer to the question is, has it worked out well for Christians to be silent on, on these things and let everyone else talk about it? Has that been a good strategy? Has that proven to really lead to Christians not struggling with these issues and secular people not struggling with the issues? Like To me, it just seems pretty straightforward that like we should be involved in all of it. We should be, if anyone, <clears throat> here, I'll end on this, basically saying, I read Francine Rivers as a young woman, as a very immature Christian, and for any negative thing that may have happened for me reading that, that was her books were by far the most positive representation of romance and sex and marriage and relationships of anything else that I consumed as a young person. So, you know, Christians are kind of scared of them, but it's like, It's just I I don't I don't I can't quite understand the fear when you consider what we're walking around in, you know, so hopefully that gives you some things. There's a lot of different parts there, but
0: well, there's I think that's right. And there is a, a, a idea that's been circulating in church for a long time before any of us actually were walking the planet. This has been around for a long time. And that's the idea that that the church um or the Christian people can actually control what people think about and what people talk about. And so if we make subjects taboo, if we declare it's inappropriate to talk about sex in the church, there, there, I've said it. Now people won't talk about it. You know, now people, right. right. about it. now people won't have issues. And uh, we did it with politics too. Well, politics are inappropriate. Yeah. In the church. And so we think if we just declare a subject off limits, that people won't talk about it, Um, but they will we'll care
1: about it. Or, right. you know, like it, it or, you know, like they won't right. have any, any, they won't be drawn to it. They won't like, it's just like, it's going to happen,
0: you know, right. like all we've done is removed ourselves from the conversation. We haven't stopped the conversation from happening. We've just made right. ourselves irrelevant to the things that are important that people want to talk about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So- that's a very good summary. That's yeah. what I was trying to say. You said it much better. <laughs> <laughs> nice and My
2: yeah, work here is done. <laughs> uh, that brings up another question for me because i I went to school for writing too. Uh, That's writing. right. Um, and and at the time, we were given um, s- some of the writer's guides for various publishing houses, Christian publishing houses, because it was a Christian university. Um, and I'm sure that the guidelines have changed probably many multiple times since, since 15 years ago. But, um, but I'm wondering, is there anything that is still off limits? You know, is there anything that could potentially get you in trouble for discussing as a Christian now, or are we starting to make some headway with, you know, we need to be doing it. Somebody needs to be presenting the godly perspective on this stuff.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So there's a weird, (laughs) as with everything, there's multiple weird parts to it. So, yes, is the is the general answer to your question. Um, How the Christian romance genre started off, at least, was Amish romance. That was it. So, if you ever see, like, you know, the whole rows and rows of Amish romance, that's because that's like the original OG romance novel for Christians. Amish are very um,
0: passionate people.
1: This <laughs> yeah. is like so funny that that was like the thing, right? That everyone was like, oh, this is okay to read. <laughs> this love story is going to be. Every
0: date involves a buggy ride. <laughs>
1: What? <laughs> well, yeah, it is. I think usually the idea was like an Amish woman falling in love with like an outsider, which I hear would like never happen. It's like not even realistic at all. But I don't know. But anyways, to answer your question, obviously, we have lots more. You know, now your, your average Christian romance reader has lots more to pick from. They can read historical romance. They can read romantic suspense. They can read sports romance. You know, they have runs the gamut. There's still, I mean, within the genre, some expectations. If you're writing a Christian romance novel, the reader expects there to be minimal to no cursing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and there's ways to get around that where, you know, you say, he cursed, like same idea, like, you know, he did it, <laughs> but they're not reading, the, they're not you, reading the curse words. You um, s- yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can do that. You can do that. Um, which is kind of funny. Like my novel, I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't like littered with curse words. I mean, it had like some because it's about MMA fighters. Realistically, they're going to curse, um, but you know, I had to take them out. I had to be creative and sort of think of like, okay, you can't say the f word. But what's he going to say? Like, you know, I, so that was a challenge. When I was
2: in school, I I can't even remember which publishing houses it was because I mean, I I couldn't even throw anybody under the bus if I wanted to. But I distinctly remember there was one that said. Anybody who purports to be a Christian, any of your characters who purport to be a Christian cannot be seen in a bar, cannot have, cannot oh. play cards. Um, they cannot. Gotcha. If they are pre-transformation, you know, pre-indwelling of Christ, then they might be able to do those things. But you have to be very clear that they are not Christians. And like, once they become Christians, they do not do those things
1: anymore. Which would
0: be after she fell.
1: <laughs> no, no, after she fell. <laughs> <laughs> well it's way different than that now because like at least yeah i mean i would think the majority of most most publishers christian publishers are willing to get into the real stuff to like a certain extent now and i think there's even more of a trend like they want that they're they're sensing that christian readers some not the ones who want like no conflict but more christian (laughs) readers are open to you know more realistic stories like In my particular novel, um, the male protagonist is not a Christian. The female protagonist is a very new baby Christian. And the, like, you know, the dynamic is realistic. She cares about things that he doesn't care about. She has a perspective on things that he doesn't have. And similarly, she's conflicted. Like, you know, she would like to have a physical part of their relationship, but she also feels like that's not a great idea, given, you know, her new identity given that they don't share the same values you know it's sort of this just realistic thing of how that would really play out um and I think Christian readers I mean I don't know I I tend to try to trust the reader more than is advised sometimes like right now it's really big to do trigger warnings it's really big to like you know give people all this prep them and uh I I don't know in my case I just think if you're a good storyteller, people are going to be OK. They're going to like, you know, they're going to figure out how to get through the hard parts. Um, yeah, I was trying to think if there was another part of your question that I wanted to answer. I do think the trend is Christian art. They're giving more room to Christian artists. I think. And that's a very good thing.
2: Well, and you also have, um, again, trying, trying to avoid any spoilers, but you've got, you're broaching the topic of divorce with your, right, yes. and something that I don't know how, you know, my professors would have felt about, about that. But as I'm reading, you know, thinking, wow, we're, we're trying to cover some new frontier here. For me, did you get any pushback from readers or editors or anything about trying to include that?
1: Oh, you know, that's interesting. I didn't. Nope. The only thing that really came up, um, but granted, keep in mind that not that many people have read it. So maybe, maybe on the horizon, that will be a thing that November readers S- have a problem with. November 2nd will <laughs> be coming and yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh,
1: <laughs> No, uh, what I anticipate will be hot topic issues surrounding that particular book is the abuse element. Whether or not I handled that sensitively enough will be a big conversation. Um, I think the rules are since I have been in an abusive relationship, they can't crucify me over it because I have my own perspective to share on that dynamic and, you know, how that informs one's thought process from my perspective. Um, the other thing that people might not like is the fact that Max, the male protagonist, is oh the main thing I I I've encountered is just because Audrey the female protagonist is an abuse survivor, the way that Max interacts with her has to be very you have to be very careful. The writing on that had to be very careful. He was originally written I think in a much more um, stoic less. Less gentle kind of way. He's still not that gentle. I don't think that like you don't read him and you're like what a gentle personality. But he's much more. He has been softened over the the editing process, um, just to be sensitive to that. Um, the divorce thing might come up. That's interesting. I well, no, though. Uh,
2: probably six months ago or more. I I'm not on Facebook anymore, but but we were friends on Facebook, you and I, before right. I. On my account, and I remember she didn't leave
0: Facebook because of you either. It wasn't me, Carmen.
2: It was me. Uh, (laughs) But nothing. You just unfriended me. But I remember seeing a conversation, a conversation with air quotes. It was a little heated with a a Christian who was pushing back on the idea that women should be in contact combat sports. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's going to
1: be a thing. If there's Mm -hmm. anybody else who agrees with
2: that gentleman, I mean, they're going to choke on this very, very hard. So I mean, yeah.
1: are you prepared for that? <laughs> well, I don't know if I necessarily have to be prepared for it because those people aren't going to read the book. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's kind of one of those like, plus, I mean, I'm very, I feel very comfortable. Basically, my position is obviously the vast majority of women do not want to be mixed martial artists. Like, Obviously, (laughs) like, (laughs) duh. Like, most women do not want to do this. Like, this is a story. Like, this is a story about one person with one dream. And, you know, I think hopefully my, my hope for is it, hope for it is that it, you know, regardless of what kind of big dream you have, maybe it's the type of novel that compels you to, you know, go after it. But I'm in no way arguing that, you know, I think all women need to be these really badass ladies. This one just happens to be. Um, and I mean, just the argument that like women shouldn't participate in combative sports against other women. That's an opinion. As much as you want to say that that's in the Bible, it's not, obviously. <laughs> so yeah. like, that's your opinion. I so, believe- you could have that opinion.
2: Was <laughs> um, It was close to it is completely an unnatural and against God's order for women to beat the crap out of each other. I think that that was, that was the crust of that argument. I
0: actually like that quote. That's just a quote. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with the sentiment, but I do like it's against God's will for women to beat the crap out it's of each just other. It's unnatural. A nice
2: the word unnatural is in there and something about God's order. God has ordered the universe a certain way, and it's just unnatural. And therefore, uh, presumably sinful for women to beat the crap out of each other.
0: (laughs) Uh
1: Yeah, I think that's just like a fundamental misunderstanding of mixed martial arts, you know? Because, like, it's not, I get that it looks that way. I get it looks like it's women beating the crap out of each other. And in a way, like, yeah, if you're just going to describe it in purely (laughs) descriptive terms, but it's a sport, you know? Like, it's legitimately a sport that they train and they practice and they love it. And it's, it's There's an a, art, you know,
0: you get to keep score. And yeah.
1: yes, I mean, I mean, they they're not doing it to I mean, it's not like a street fight. It's like we are elite athletes. We train. We this is a moment that's, you know, it, it's it's it. I don't know. I mean, I think if you say that argument for women, is it true for men, too? Is it completely unnatural and ungodly for men to beat the crap out of each other? I mean.
0: Right. Right. That was just like, like, I'm going to ask. It's like, if you're going to say that women shouldn't do it, then, then men shouldn't box either. If it's, yeah, that's your problem. But if it's a sport, yeah, there's, there's voluntary,
1: you know, there's something
0: fun about it. We, we had (laughs) when my brother and I got boxing gloves for Christmas one year and it was pretty fun to beat the crap (laughs) out.
1: I love, I love combative sports. I love doing them. I love watching them. Um, you know, I mean, I would hate to watch a woman gang up on somebody and just like beat the crap out of someone for no reason. Like, yeah, that would be a whole different thing. That would be bad. Or a man beating up a woman, obviously, you know, like, there's, like, I get violence. There's a category of violence that is wrong. Um, But I just, I don't know. I've never, I, I it's hard for me to really get into that headspace with them because I've never watched mixed martial arts or boxing or anything and felt like this is against God's creation like I don't know I don't have that's I don't feel it I don't I'm willing to be proven wrong but I just I don't think there's anything anything in the bible that would suggest that human beings don't have a capacity for fighting. I think there's a reason why there's lots of comparisons to Christians in particular, being like warriors, disciplining your body. I mean, I think, I think it speaks to a, a part of all of us that is there. Not everybody's as into it, I think, but I think
0: she sounds pretty know. minded to me. I don't think we're going to convince her <laughs> from a, from a, a boy standpoint. Um, Wrestling and roughhousing is a thing that, that we do because it's fun. And Mm -hmm. we didn't have, my brother and I didn't have a sister until we were older. We were 12 or 13 when Bonnie came along. And, um, and so we treated her differently, not just because she was a girl, but mostly because we were a lot older than she was. But there was, Mm -hmm. I've seen now the propensity in some kids having a couple of daughters of my own, um, that they, they just, they like, they like roughhousing, but not the same way that, that boys do. And I'm, I'm sure right, that every right. girl is different, you know, and so, and there are girls out there that, that love to, you know, to mix it up. And I don't think that that's in and of itself. I don't think that's problematic because I know that when boys are roughhousing, they're not mad at each other. They're not, uh, they're they're playing and and it's it's right. fun to throw each other on the ground and 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 it's fun to tackle each other when you're playing football and it's very physical mm-hmm. but it's not mm-hmm. it it's not based on you're not really at war with each other this is this is right. how you it's how you play so, so
2: is it the motivation or what's going on in a person's heart that is the difference between a sport and those cell phone videos that we've all seen where you know a couple of teenagers are are literally beating the crap out of each other in a like McDonald's, you know, <laughs> lobby or something. Right. Is, that, is it the inspiration? Yeah, I, mean, it...
1: I think motivation obviously is a big factor. If you you can fight for stupid reasons, and you can fight for, you know, because it's your profession, you can fight because you're you've trained, you want to be the best at it. Um, you know, one thing that you were when you were talking about it, John, that just I wanted to highlight in the book that I think some of those people who maybe are are hesitant to read my book because they think that I'm casting women in this, in this GI Jane type of role is I, one of my favorite things, one of the things I love about the romance genre is that it highlights the differences between the sexes. And in 2021, you need that. You need somebody to tell you why men are different and women are different and to, portray it in a compelling interesting way and even though yes Audrey is a very good fighter and very determined and impressive obviously the male fighter is the stronger fighter is the one who has to I mean he to train with her he cannot train at the same exact level that he would train with with a man and it's just like that's not (laughs) that's not like insulting to women that's just like reality like you know like you wouldn't want
0: you'll trigger trigger that there will be women who would when they read your book they're going to be mad at you for doing that
1: it's true and i mean i will i will put out the disclaimer that i recognize there are women who could beat up a man but i will throw out the qualifications of those women are generally extremely well-trained women not the norm, not your average woman, women who dedicate their life to some particular combative sport versus a man who is not significantly larger and stronger than them and is totally unprepared. Those are the two, that's the important factor there. If a man is just bigger than you and stronger than you and he anticipates that you are going to attack him, there's, I mean, that's why we have the second amendment. That's the great equalizer. That's where that comes in. And I, I know, I mean.
0: You're out of trouble, you know. <laughs> I mean, that, that's not going
1: yeah, right.
0: to dispel the wrath that's coming your way.
1: So. Yeah, that's true. I just told more truth. I said some truth and then I told more truth. And right. so it's not
0: going to be good. going to make people less angry. With
1: <laughs> I guess what I'm trying to say is I think for the reasonable person, I am showing you a very strong woman, a very um, inspiring, strong woman. And I'm also realistically showing you a dynamic between men and women. I'll leave it at that. Who can be mad at that?
0: (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: (laughs) we're on the topic of
2: criticism, um, because that's one of our favorite topics. Again, criticism? Well, your book um, actually has. One-star reviews on the back that were left by people who had not read the book. We didn't even have a hard copy of the book when they were left. We just had that digital pre-release. So is this about the phase that you're in now, Carmen, when our first wave of criticism was coming in um, where people went on? You're familiar with the tactic or people will go on Amazon and leave a one-star review. They're not verified, you know, purchasers, but it was something he had said on another social media site that upset them. And so now in retaliation, they're going to go and, uh, you know, vote down his products. But um, we ended up taking those criticisms and putting them on the hardcover or the softcover when we came out with a physical copy. And um, I had people tell us, people who were longtime fans say that they didn't think that was a good idea or they were at least hesitant you know, strongly discouraging that move because they were like, I just don't know if people are going to get it. And I wouldn't advertise those criticisms if I were you. Like, it's just, you know, people actually read reviews. It really does impact the way that they make decisions and ah, it just really freaked them out. But we've also had people, including the folks at the Babylon Bee who were like, yeah, that's pretty brilliant. And we kind of love that. So, you know, how you feel, cause I know that you're not a stranger to criticism, maybe not about this book yet, but how do right. you handle it when you end up getting somebody who obviously, no matter how mild you said something, you know, they're going to be upset about it. And what do you do in that case?
1: Yes. It's a good question. Yeah. I mean, I, I have already traveled the path in my mind of the worst case scenario of Okay, you know, this book causes some kind of frenzy of some kind. I cause a frenzy of some kind. The publisher drops me. You know, like I've gone there in my mind and I've thought about, okay, what's what's that Carmen gonna do? And obviously, I mean it's gonna if that happens, that's gonna be painful, but I don't know. I guess I've as I've set out to become a writer that's always been a thing that I knew could happen. It's not going to take me by surprise. Um, That's one of the reasons why I built an alternative career doing cultural commentary is because I wanted people to know. I didn't want it to be a surprise. Like I wanted it to be like, I'm reading this novel by Carmen Schover. She's a non-woke Christian who is not progressive and supported Donald Trump and is pro-life, like all of it's out there. Like every single thing that you are supposed to cancel me over, I've been upfront about it from the beginning. Um, I'm not trying to be somebody else. I don't want to, I don't want to pander to a really progressive audience because I'm not a freaking sadist. I don't want to experience pain all the time and never be good enough. Like I just recognize there are really two paths you can go and you can be true to yourself and cultivate an audience um, that wants that. Or you can do backbends and flip over and apologize and pretend like you think all these things you don't really think and they'll still be mad at you. <laughs> like those are the two the two options. And so, I don't know, I guess when the time comes, I will try to take some of the criticism seriously if it's from people who actually read it. You know, it's my first novel, I'm sure there's things I could do better. Um, but like you said, there are people, I mean, I'm reading a book now that um, the reason I bought it is because all these terrible reviews about it. I could tell that people hadn't read it and I was like, Oh, so this book's probably like actually pretty good. Like <laughs> all these people were real mad. It's a romance novel about a, a liberal feminist who falls in love with this like hot alpha Republican. <laughs> I was like, at first I was like, that sounds ridiculous and yeah. then i read all these comments and they were like oh my gosh this is like glamorizing a nazi this is she you know like all this crazy stuff And i was like i'm gonna read this i'm intrigued and so oh, i don't know my I guess my stri-
0: those aren't real <laughs> there's no alpha Hot Repu-
1: <laughs> well and dang like i can't honestly guys i can't believe that this book if anyone's interested, it's called Meet Meet You in the Middle. It's over there. Um, it's called Meet You in the Middle. And I can't believe it exists in twenty twenty one. Like I don't <laughs> even know.
0: This is how it's so appropriate that you're on our podcast because you're doing one of our favorite things on this podcast, which is to plug other people's podcasts. Yeah. So
1: <laughs> we have
0: you on to talk about your book and you start plugging other people's books. Yeah. So- other book. Yeah. You Here's can't help
1: it; it's all related.
2: Like you're the comedy guy, you talk about how when you're having conversations or you're, you know, you make comparisons and you bring in other things. It's like your brain does it, and so yeah. I, you know, the Babylon Bee, and she's reading a book, and it just it yeah. makes sense if you're listening.
0: The thing that I was thinking about as you were talking is that there is a, um, there's a guilty pleasure that goes along with reading, uh. Romance novels, for example, for, uh, for people who like romance novels. I, I don't necessarily happen to be one of those people, but I do you don't like, not
1: like romance novels?
0: I'm just kidding. <laughs> I do like violence. I do like violence. Yeah. And, um, I like gangster movies, um, a whole mm-hmm. lot. And, and zombie those are, movies. And I like zombie movies too, but for a different reason. Oh. Um, but the, uh, <laughs> but, but I have been, uh, you have to be very secretive about admitting that you like, <laughs> movies, you know, to church people because, because you start to list Goodfellows and Casino and, uh, and The Godfather right. as some of your favorite movies. And they go, but you're a Christian. You're a, you're an elder in the church. How can you like that stuff? And it's like, there is, I, I don't necessarily want to get into all of the philosophies about good versus evil and, and all of that, but there's something that is appealing about the visceral, uh, you know the visceral uh, things that happen in those books, and I suspect that it's not just men that will admit to liking a certain amount of violence, a certain amount of explosions, and uh, and flying fists. Um, and I first heard this from a uh, a lady friend of mine who, um, when after the book of Eli was still in. Was still in theaters. The book of Eli, um, is a super violent movie. And speaking
2: of plugging other,
0: plugging other, (laughs) one of my favorite movies of all time, but I hadn't seen it yet. And she said, Oh, you should go see it. You, if you like, if you like violence and I said, do you like violence? And she goes, Oh yeah, there's something, there's something about the, you know, this over the top visceral, uh, violence that is, is appealing at some level. And, And a lot of times people are reluctant to admit that. And if it's not violence, Mm -hmm. then it's romance to to the topic of your book, where people won't admit that they kind of like they kind of like things that are inappropriate, even Christian people things that are inappropriate. Yeah.
1: Well, I think it's. I mean, you probably can speak to this too. I mean, it's just storytelling. When you break down storytelling, it's pretty simple. What people are most compelled by in general. I mean, obviously there's all kinds of different genres and things, but most of them break down into a battle and a love story. Like, and those can look all kinds of different ways, but that is essentially what most stories build towards. They build towards a major conflict between two entities of some kind That you and you care about one and you hate the other. That's usually, you know, the person has done a good job of communicating whatever it is. You've got your good and your evil and you want good to win. And then you've got two people who you want to see come together. There's all these obstacles in the way. And, you know, if good wins and if the people fall in love and the story is good, it's super satisfying. You know, and it's just I mean, I mean, we could get really complicated as to like why. But that's just what most people and i think that kind of speaks to like the sexes right like men maybe understand that battle part a little more and women think maybe more about that love interest part a little more but they're kind of they're parallel to one another like they drive something forward there's unknowns um and the big question mark at the end is who's gonna win this and will they end up together so the two the two things you're seeking to answer and i don't know i mean i just personally, I don't think, I mean, obviously, you can write inappropriate things, like, duh, I'm not, I wouldn't argue that just because, like, romance is written or something, that it doesn't veer into, um, you know, lewd thing. but, I mean, maybe a good way to to describe it is before secularism ruined everything, before kind of the postmodern era, remember, like, When movies had tasteful sex scenes, like you just knew like these characters were in love and enough was going on that you're like, okay, I know that I know what's going to happen next. It was like, you know, you liked watching it, but it wasn't like you were watching pornography. It was like, okay, that was great. And then you moved on to like the next scene. That's like a good Christian romance novel. A good Christian romance novel gives you enough that you're like, oh. I see that. I see what's going on here. And then like you're on to the next thing and it's, it's enjoyable. It's, it's not like too much. It's not too little. It's just the right amount of like, okay, romance. There it is. I experienced it. Like, you know, and I think, I don't know. It, it it's, we act like that's really kind of like, obviously there are people who act like that's super square and lame. And then there are people who act like that's wrong and, you know, whatever. But I think I probably one of my one of my goals as a writer is to have landed in that that place. of This is tasteful, but I also want to push push people a little more out of their comfort zone of what they're OK with reading in a Christian novel, because um, I think we need to. Right.
2: Yes. Well, that question of where, where's that line between enjoying something because it's part of God's created order and like we're, we're designed to crave stories. We're designed to crave, you know, a love connection and um, that battle that, that you're talking about violence. But I guarantee you, there are going to be people who are like, no, that's your sin nature. That's cropping up right there when you're Mm. addicted to or drawn to, I'm trying to think of words that mean something other than drawn to that have a negative connotation because, because it's sort of a battle that people go through all the time between, mm-hmm. you know, there's a line somewhere we think like we want good things, but sometimes we don't because we still got that flesh that we're dealing with. And how can I know if I'm indulging my flesh by consuming, you know, this, this fight or consuming this, um, you know, where is that line between a tasteful portrayal right. <laughs> of obviously God, you know, God's mm-hmm. Design God's idea versus (laughs) pornography, which we agree is lewd and it's, it's fleshy. And I don't know.
1: Degrading.
2: Is there a line, you know, that we can formulize and just be like, oh yes, one plus one equals two. Or is that something we're always going to wrestle with?
1: (laughs) I mean, I think there are lines. Like, you know, if you ask me some specific questions, I could tell you like, yeah, that's a line. That's a line. But I think with art, like if you're, if you're hoping that it's like that for everything,
2: Yeah. Well, and I am hoping that it's like that for everything because I like black and white. If
1: someone were to me that. Oh, no. Oh, shoot. I good? I disappeared, but I'm back. She disappeared for a second, but I think you're back now. Oh, okay. What I all I was going to say is if someone were to say, you know, that's your sin nature that that craves a battle or craves romance, I would just I would just push them to consider what are sort of the underlying narratives of the Bible that we have going on? The main thing that, especially now into, you know, our moment as the church, what we are looking forward to is a great battle between Christ and the world and being reunited to him as the bride. Like those are two like parallels right there. Like God is going to come back and fight this epic battle and we are going to be, we are the prize. Like, and if that's not, you know, sort of illustrate, like that's why we probably long for it. That's why it's fun for us to read these things is because on a very deep level, we know this is where we are going to. And so we like, we like watching that or reading that or whatever else, whatever forum play out.
0: That is, that is interesting. And, and it's, Profound, because that is something that doesn't that that sort of transcends um, cultures. I mean, you don't find, mm-hmm. no matter what nation you go to, no matter what language is being spoken, that that good versus evil and evil triumphing is is I mean
1: good triumphing, good triumphing, <laughs> and evil being <laughs> built see, in. for a good story. It has to look like evil's triumphing, right, you know, for a while, and then good has to.
0: Right. But we don't like that. And and nobody likes that. No, there's Mm -hmm. no culture where it's celebrated when the, you know, when the bad guys win, it's, it's very, it, it, it upsets you. No matter where you grew up and what time period you grew up, it seems to be something that's universal in humanity. Um, yeah. Interesting.
1: Yeah. It's built into us. And, you know, I mean, same with what, what culture doesn't, isn't, hasn't been fascinated by love, you know, name like a time period where they didn't have love stories where they didn't have, um, you know, where romance wasn't this, you know, we, we have stories passed down since the beginning of the beginning of that highlight love and good triumphing over evil. And, you know, that's cause that's the ultimate story. And so I think the bigger question that I hope a lot of Christians that christians are interested in answering is how do we portray these things in interesting ways and fun ways and ways that obviously speak to the culture more truthfully than what most most of what they're getting now has to say you know like the the trend for christians in the past has been to shrink away um The trend for secularists now is to just straight up lie about the nature of sex and the nature of gender and the nature of all of it. And so like there's a big there's all this room where we can come in and provide better, better content, better art, better stories. So I hope more people are excited about doing it. I hope they believe that they can. One thing that I was I definitely struggled with a lot of doubt that, you know, as an outspoken Christian, as a non-progressive, um, can I do this? Can I have a career? Can I have an audience? And it's looking like the answer is yes. We'll see. See you in November. <laughs> that
2: was going to be my probably final question. I don't have anything else on my phone. But just are are there more novels in your brain somewhere? And and are you already working on something else?
1: Yes. So I signed a two book deal. So and they're not like it's not like a series. So it's two standalone concepts. Um, The new one is due in July. So I'm hustling (laughs) getting her done because I give birth in August. So I would like to be done. I'd like to be done writing before. (laughs) (laughs) And that one, that one is sort of like a, like a sweet home Alabama reinterpreted for 2021 with a lot of guns. That's probably the best concept I could give you at this point. And then I have a third one. We'll
0: can see I if talk, they want that one. I'm talking yep. some gangsters to that story. I thought you're going <laughs> to say zombie. Can
1: you do a zombie, both novel?
0: zombie gangsters would be fantastic. It's just yep. to exactly. suggest. I mean, if it doesn't, don't force Log it. that away. <laughs> I don't want you to force it, but if you can do it, you know, organically and. naturally.
1: <laughs> if
2: you're inspired, If great. the Holy Spirit so inspires <sighs> you yeah. um, really to add well, a
1: gangster. Yeah, I
2: think <laughs> that this has been a really good conversation i hope carl our neighbor is satisfied with this uh authentic table talk
1: <laughs> oh,
0: Gosh, let's pander. for a minute like yeah
1: when you guys started i didn't know if that was like a joke because since my name's carmen i was like wait am i carl like is this like an alter ego or something am i like <laughs> the neighbor the- carl we are all carl uh, the no, no, no.
2: universe is carl uh, so i,
0: I want to ask a question and this is a uh, it's oh we're a going practical off practical question yeah there wasn't really a question, question. Okay. And that is, um, and and this is a question that I'm asking on behalf of of anyone out there who's listening, who would be a writer, or who would who would think of themselves as somebody who's going to write. How how important is it to uh, now to have the right tools, to have the exact right piece of software, to have the right place to sit, to have the right time of day? I mean, how much does that matter? when it comes to actually producing a book on a, do you, do you understand what I'm asking? Mm-hmm. You know, yes. yes. How do the circumstances need to be in order to get a book done?
1: Well, none of that matters. None of that part matters. Um, the only things that you need are one, the discipline to sit down and do it. That's the, that's how your book's going to get done is if you are, if you can cultivate the discipline in yourself to sit down for it doesn't have to, you know, whatever time that you have, you should be trying to write every day. Um, and if you can't write every day, then when it strikes, you need you just you have to have the ability to not procrastinate away all of your writing time. That's the main thing. But then the second thing I would say, rather than worrying about your process, or, you know, any of that, or even having like, the perfect story you need the discipline to write and you need to start building an audience and the way that you start building an audience is by telling the truth if you tell the truth people will want to find you they'll seek it out um that's the hardest thing i mean lots of people write books um and they were even write good books but they're they're so they themselves are so uh unknown that the person doesn't want to buy the book, you know, like they just, you know, they're just like, uh, they're basically if someone knows who you are and they know what they're getting and they have some kind of personal connection to you for whatever reason, they are way more likely to become a fan and a follower and to purchase your book. And that is what will enable you to have an actual writing career. You know, like you gotta have, you gotta have people who want what you're selling. So, yeah, if I could go back in time to my Mm -hmm. little little unsure self, I'd say, Carmen, stress out less about, you know, all these like, how are you going to get an agent? How are you going to do that? How are you going to do this? And I would have started building a platform as a Christian, conservative, creative person a long time ago, because I think everything else would have been easier if I would have done that.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I do have I do have one other little follow-up question that okay. that basically uh ignores the answer that you just gave. Um and <laughs> good, that's uh, and, good. and that is when it comes right. to when it comes to process um the the process for for creating a book is daunting um because yeah. writing a book is different a lot different from writing a blog. It's different from writing an individual article. It's different or writing a novel is different from writing a short story. And yeah. um, so how do you, or how did you, how did you keep everything organized? I mean, you, and you don't have to go into all <laughs> fast detail, but how do you, how do you go from, I have an idea for a book to actually starting to get all of those ideas, uh, figure out some sort of a outline. I mean, yeah. What did you do? Yeah.
1: So, what helps me the most, obviously the answer basically you're asking like, how do you write a novel?" and it's a it's a hard, it's a hard question to answer. but the the short answer of it is you for me, what, how I did it is I thought of all the books that I really like reading, and some of those were Francine Rivers' books, um, Fanny Flag books. Um, And just whatever random stuff I happen to have on hand fiction in the fiction category. And I would read them. And as I would read them, I would write out every action that took place. I would be like, okay, main character a makes this decision that causes X. And then I would like read on and then every like major point where one action led to another. That's what I would write down. And so then I had all these potential like scenarios, right? Where like, okay, so if a character does something like this, then this happens. And then if that happens, then you have to think about. And that process for me was just super helpful in just learning how to think in those terms. Personally, I think that's the hardest part of writing fiction is you have to think about a plot that makes sense, but also isn't so mundane that no one cares about it. You know, because like if you just do it has to have enough interesting, unexpected things that the person wants to keep reading. But it can't be so ridiculous and unexpected that you're like flipping through it and you're like, no one would ever do this. You know, so it's sort of like striking that balance. Um, And so I just learned how to do it from reading other books, writing out what they did and then just staring at it. And then personally, my process involves I usually get about 60,000 words done and my novels are like 90,000 words. So I get like two thirds done. And then after I've written two thirds of it, I'm like, hmm, I should change these 15 things. And then I go back to the beginning and I start over essentially. And then after I do that, that last 30,000 words is a lot easier to write. That kind of makes sense. So I think you sort of have to let your, your characters you know, you have to, like, try some things. You, like, have a general premise. You're like, okay, here we go. They're making these decisions. We're working towards this conflict. And then after you do that and you get to know them a little bit more, it's a lot easier to figure out, like, how you could have made it stronger. I don't know. Some people, like Stephen King, they say that they just, like, have the idea. They write it out and they crank it out in, like, 90 days. Maybe that's true. Maybe he's lying. <laughs> I don't know. I'm a little scared.
0: He is an atheist. There's no penalty for lying. So.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, super talented. Either way, he's lying or not. I mean, good at, good at creating really weird, creepy stories. Right. But I, well, I
0: think I, yeah. 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 Go ahead. And makes, it, I think it makes sense. And I think it would even make sense from the standpoint of somebody like Stephen King is if you've got a, um, if you've got a process, uh, it's easier. And the first time you write yeah. a, look, you don't have a process. And then after you get a book finished, then, well, you obviously have a process. And then it's right. a matter of of repeating that process and refining yeah, that that's process. That's totally
2: what I said about, uh, we did our anniversary special for his live show that we do every Sunday. Hey, look, I'm going to plug our own stuff. We're going to
0: plug our own stuff. <laughs> at,
2: no Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Um, and and we decided to wrap up our first season with like this big murder mystery and it's a comedy show, it's usually a variety show. We've introduced all sorts of special guests and games and things in the last year. And I was like, I really want to wrap it up. How am I gonna wrap this up? And I was like, oh, you know, I've written murder mysteries before that were really fun and sort of improvisational. So how can we incorporate that in an e like you know, electronic virtual setting like our show is? And I was like, I don't know, probably I could do it. Like, you know, it's the sky's the limit. Like whatever I want to say, I can just justify somehow. <laughs> and I I was really happy with how it finally turned out, you know, long story short. But I think the best part is that next year, you know, when we're ready to wrap up season two and kind of make it this highlight reel, you know, fun thing um, that also has a murder mystery theme, I now have some idea of what that actually is going to look like because we finished. And so having just finished one, I mean, do you have a sense of relief now that after she falls is officially done? I mean, is that,
1: how does that feel? Uh, It feels good. Like, and it's, it, I mean, obviously, yes, just finishing it when I finished it, whenever I did years ago and I, you know, was like, done. And I was like, I'm not looking at this again until someone tells me I have to. And then I wrote a letter to, started writing letters to agents. And then from there it was writing stuff for publishers. You know, every step of the way just builds your confidence a little bit more that like you have figured out how to do this. And so like, for sure, the, when you first sit down to do it, like this isn't the first novel I've ever written. This is the first good novel I have ever written. This is the first one that like people actually could read and be like, Oh, this doesn't totally suck. Like, you know, this is, this is that Um, I've written so many things before I've written this. Um, And, you know, they were all I needed to write them. They helped me figure out pieces that I needed to get good at, but really just pushing through to finish that first thing. Yeah. Now the second one, it's still. I'm not gonna lie. Like it's. It stresses me out sometimes. But it's. It's exponentially easier to write this new novel than it was to sit down at the beginning and write this one because it was all. It was all a big question mark, and now it's kind of like. You at least know, Carmen. You at least know you can kind of do this. Yeah, <laughs> That's do. where I'm starting at now.
0: Perfect. You can <laughs> yeah. do it, right?
1: Yeah,
2: right. exactly. Well- Reached that part of our table discussion where my children are trying to rearrange furniture, or I don't know. Oh yeah, bring my down. let
1: do that too.
0: I thought they were doing lunch. <laughs> yeah.
2: Something, something is happening, and the the toddler came <laughs> in and was I'm like, like "Grandpa, tree. can I come downstairs?" <laughs> <laughs> it looks like you did already. Aww. Um. So I just. We we'll want to thank our house guest, Carmen, for coming on the show today.
0: Carmen Schober, look for her book.
2: After She Falls.
0: After, guys. Not
1: before She Falls. <laughs> not
0: before She Falls. <laughs> <laughs> November second.
1: Thank you, guys. It's always really? fun to just talk to you. Where
0: like, do they find you, Carmen? Where's your Where's your online oh, place?
1: I am mostly active on Instagram. My handle is at Carmen underscore Shober. Underscore rights. Sorry, that's a little tricky. Um, and then I have a website, www.carbonshober.com. Um, those are the two main things, but yeah, thank you guys for having me. You're my first ever, this is my first time being interviewed as a romance novelist and not as a cultural commentator. So we'll see yeah. if I want to do it again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, we no. We'll have you come back and whenever you're in town. Come over to the kitchen table. We'll chat about uh, all whatever occurs to us. So
1: <laughs> sounds good. Thanks. Sounds good. Thank you, guys. <laughs>